scriptures remind us that we serve a wonderful Savior. This morning as we continue, we want to look at the story of John the Baptist. And in that, the introduction of Jesus as the Son of God. If you remember from three weeks ago, the major theme within Mark is that Jesus is the Son of God. And Mark is attempting, through the stories of Jesus, to tell the reader, to help the reader figure out that Jesus is no mere man, but that he is the Son of God. And in our story, and and from this time on, Jesus will no longer be the son of Mary and Joseph. Jesus will no longer be just another man from Galilee. In a way, this story represents what you might call go time. If you've ever started a business or planned a large event, there's a bit of fear or excitement or a good mixture of both that occurs when the first person walks through the door. Preparation is now over. The plan is now being carried out. You can imagine the joy on God the Father's face as these events unfolded. It was go time. The plans had been laid. The redemptive history that God had planned and had brought forth was culminating now in a three-year period in the life of Christ. And it was starting. You can imagine the joy on his face. It's time. Let's go. Let's deliver the plan. And the opening of that plan is by a man we call John the Baptist. As we read, um, and our text this morning is uh, Mark 1. We'll be reading Mark 1 through 15. As we read this text, uh, please consider a a few things. And these are the questions that we're going to attempt to answer. Number one, what was John's mission? Why was John the Baptist there? And secondly, what was his message? I would like to argue after we review all that, that our mission and our message is really not that much different than what it was for John the Baptist. Again, our text is Mark 1, and I'll begin reading. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, 
saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we invite your presence here with us. We pray that as we consider this story, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds to be taught by your Spirit, to be taught by your Word. And Father, as we hear, may we believe, and may we be uh, changed by your Spirit. Help us to be those who confess you as our Lord. Help us here this morning. And may all we do bring honor and glory to you. We pray this through Christ. First of all, I would like us to consider the mission of John the Baptist. Mark here quotes Malachi 3 and Isaiah 40 to describe the mission or purpose of John the Baptist. In fact, all four of the Gospels refer to the Isaiah passage. The simple version of what John the Baptist's mission was, was that he was sent to be an introduction to Christ. Isaiah speaks him as one who prepares for Christ to come. One who makes his path straight. John the Baptist came not preaching his own goodness or saying, come follow me, as Jesus would later say. But he simply said, I am introducing you to the Messiah. I am preaching the message of God, but coming behind me is the Messiah, is the Son of God. Now as simple as that may seem to us, to the Jews who were his contemporaries. The message of the Messiah was one that they were waiting for. In their, especially in their political situation, the, the message of the Messiah was one that they longed for, that they wished for, that they wanted. And while John the Baptist was an unlikely candidate for a campaign manager due to his appearance, the location of his services, his manner. 
It seems that the people of Judea and Jerusalem flocked to hear him. And many were baptized in the Jordan. And it says many confessed. In spite of the crowds, though, his words were not, again, the self-exalting words of a person trying to make crowds follow him. It seems he didn't do very much to try to make people like him. In Luke 3 and in Matthew 3, we see him saying to the crowds, especially to the leaders among the crowds, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. It doesn't sound like a campaign speech to me. It doesn't sound like something that we would all hear and say, I need to hear more from this man. And John the Baptist is quite different from your normal uh, Jewish troublemaker of the time. He's not attempting to lead a rebellion against Rome. He doesn't want to gather a force of guerrillas and... and, uh, make war. He wants to overthrow the temple. He stands and he preaches repentance and the coming of Christ. His mission is not to draw attention to himself, but to introduce and to draw attention to Christ. What about his message? Verse 4 and verses 7 to 8 show us what that message is. If we refer to the account in Matthew 3, we get an extended version of that message. And I'll read that now, Matthew 3, verses 7 to 12. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptisms, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to the come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Again, in in the Jewish context, um, not much of a campaign speech. Um, Not a good way to get yourself killed, which is in fact what he did um, by speaking these words. But within his message, um, I'd like to bring out what I think are the three uh, key elements of his message. The first is that he calls the people to repent and to turn from sin. The second element is the Messiah is coming. And thirdly, that, in a sense, the Jewish religious establishment is doomed. That the Christ is coming, the Savior is coming, but He's also coming to judge. Repentance is a theme that we see throughout the Old Testament. 
as the prophets often called the children of Israel to repent. Ezekiel 14 says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols, and turn away your faces from all your abominations. And this theme was repeated by most, if not all, of the Old Testament prophets. God here, in the message of John the Baptist, is calling men to repent. Repentance is simply the changing of mind that accompanies the realization of new information. Repentance is a change of mind brought about by a change of information that one has. Before repentance, we generally see ourselves as the center of the world. I think this is a state most humans find themselves in. After realizing the existence of God, though, we repent of our selfishness and we live as if our new understandings are correct. So repentance, in a way, is an, is an act of the will, but it also informs our actions. It's not simply a mental assent. A regrettable thing happened to me this week. As I was backing out of the parking lot um, here on Tuesday, I um, failed to notice that there was another car to the side of me, and I turned my wheel sharp to get out as fast as I could, and Brother John Ivan's car, if you will observe it, has a nice wrinkle down the side. Now, there's a split second there when that happens. You're tempted to just back out, hit the gas, and get away. He's just stunned with the reality of what just happened. Am I simply capable of this? How possibly did this happen? Now, as we may want to, we can simply ignore that reality and race on down the road. Or, one can repent of his actions and assume responsibility. Now, that repentance isn't simply a Yes, in my mind, I hit his car and then drive down the road. No, that repentance requires me to walk back in the office and say, I'm sorry, brother, I just hit your car. But it doesn't stop there. Repenting also means that I take ownership of the action. And in doing so, it's now my responsibility. So that includes a call to my insurance company to file a claim, a willingness to do whatever it takes to make sure his car is returned to its unwrinkled state. See, repentance is not just an acknowledgement of reality, but repentance is a realignment with that reality. John the Baptist repeats this call to repentance to the Jews. Turn away from serving yourselves and serve God. And apparently, this message of repentance caused people to seriously search their hearts. The account in Luke 3 
indicates that the people began to wonder if John the Baptist was actually the Messiah. And his reply to them was that the Messiah was coming after him. And so the people heard his words. They heard his preaching. They heard his call. And it's as if they said, this is, this is different. This is different than what we normally hear. This man may be the Messiah. And John the Baptist says, no, no, he's, he's coming after me. And so, his second message is that he declared Christ as the Messiah. And his declaration was, I think accompanied by two elements. One, I'm unworthy to be in his presence. So don't start thinking that I am him. If you notice, when they, when they came and said, are you the Messiah? He says, no, I'm not the Messiah. In fact, I'm not even worthy to, in, in one version it says, carry his shoes. In another version it says, to untie his shoes. And I think he's painting the image there that that I'm unworthy to carry his message. I'm, I'm not even worthy to hold his shoes, much less to hold his message. I, I am nothing. Don't try to call me the Messiah. I, I'm nothing. It's Christ who's coming that is what we're after. Secondly, he says, I've given you physical baptism. I've given you a physical sign. Christ Himself brings the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Again, we can acknowledge the repentance in a person's life, but we don't bring the Holy Spirit upon them. Only Christ's baptism does that. And so this proclamation of the coming Christ was followed by an indication that the religious establishment was going to be overthrown. In the Matthew and Luke accounts, he refers to the religious leaders as a brood of vipers. Now, again, if you're the object of that message, you're probably not very happy about it. Um, so imagine if I walked in here and I called some of you a nest of rattlesnakes. In other words, a place to go to be poisoned and killed. Or if I described a church as that, a place to go and lose your faith. And that's exactly what John the Baptist is telling the Jews. You are a, a people where faith dies, where spiritual life dies. John the Baptist was simply calling out the Jewish religious society in the same way that Jesus would later on. He represents them as enemies of God and do His just wrath. He also refers to them as stones, dead stones out of which God is able to pull the true children of Abraham. Now that's, that's an affront if there ever was one. The calling card of a Pharisee, the calling card of a proper Jew is that he is the son of Abraham. And John the Baptist said, nah, bunch of dead stones. Only God can pull Abraham's children out of those. 
So he railed against those who really were undermining God himself. Those who were, while they were the children, the chosen people of God, actually stood in opposition to Christ. We see that the Pharisees, in the end, probably got their way with John the Baptist. But in this case, due to his popularity, there's probably not much they could do at this point. John the Baptist called out the religious people and organizations because they were not representing God in the way they were supposed to. They, they were to expect that while they assumed the Messiah would be their ally, that he would actually be coming to judge them. The Jews saw the Messiah as their personal Savior. But John the Baptist is saying, no, he's, he's coming as a judge. This Messiah will not be the friend of self-serving religion. And so in summary, John the Baptist's mission was to introduce Christ. His message was that we are to repent, to expect the Messiah and to call out those who misrepresent the true God. So in the introduction, I stated that I think the mission and message of John the Baptist is very similar to what should be our mission and message. Tim Keller says that the mission of the church is this, and I quote, It is best to speak of the mission of the church strictly conceived as being the proclamation of the word. More broadly conceived, it is the work of Christians in the world to minister in word and deed and to gather together to do justice. So the mission of the church is primarily to preach the word, to preach the goodness, the graciousness of God. But secondarily, it is then that that word, that that message so changes us that we then carry that message to our world in many and various ways. By service, by caring, by preaching. In other words, the church's main purpose is declare, as John the Baptist did, that self is not the ultimate center. That the solution of man's ills is not more of man. But that the solution to man's problems is a repentance of ourselves as inadequate. And the recognition that Christ is adequate. That He is Lord. In proclaiming the word, we are in fact proclaiming Christ and the moment that we proclaim the word without Christ is the moment we fail. Too often I think the world sees our message as one of cultural requirement. Too often we portray the life ahead of the life-giving Son. As Christians, we offer one hope to humanity, and that is Christ, the Son of God. As John the Baptist, our mission should be to prepare the way for those around us to see Christ, 
by deeds of kindness and care, by seeking justice and goodness, and by decrying injustice, we represent Christ. By declaring His Lordship, we call men to repentance and obedience. As with John the Baptist, we too are unworthy to carry His message. But also, as John the Baptist, God has chosen to use His church as the means of which this message is preached. And we should preach the same message. Repent and be baptized because Christ is the Messiah. Because Christ is Lord. Some of you are familiar with the many scandals that have come upon large evangelical churches. Some of them are caving to this modern pressure and that modern pressure, wishing to remain relevant and open, to become approachable to those who wish to seek the gospel. In like form, much of the apostasy that I see in modern evangelicalism has been born of a, of a sweetening of the gospel message by removing the call to morality and emphasizing the welcoming openness of Christ. And Christ is open. He does welcome. But that repentance is not, again, a simple assent. The attraction to the gospel is not how sweet we can make it sound and feel and be to those around us. We cannot sweeten the gospel. We cannot make it better. We cannot make it more relevant. And so let us not waver. The hope of the world is not the church. The hope of the world is not our ability to make the gospel message acceptable. The hope of the world is not born on the labor of our hands or on the morality of our hearts. The hope of the world is the Christ. The hope of the world is the Son of God. The hope of the world is in agreeing with God and repenting of our inadequacy and heralding His sufficiency. Let us not be deceived into thinking that our church or our way is what needs heralded. Let's not build the kingdom here for ourselves to consume. The kingdom is to be built upon the call to repentance and obedience. The kingdom is built on the Son of God. Some questions here in conclusion. Does your repentance drive your actions? Does the fact that you Repented, and again, we often see repentance as a simple turning away from sin and acknowledging that we are sinful.
but repentance is twofold. It's an acknowledgement that we are one thing, but more importantly, that Christ is something else. That we are inadequate, but He is adequate. Repentance is not simply an acknowledgement of sin, but it's also an acknowledgement of Savior. So, does your repentance simply mean a sorrow for sin, or does it mean a chasing after what is righteousness? Is your declaration of Christ as Lord evident in your life and steps? Secondly, are you apt to attempt to make the gospel acceptable to people? I overheard a man telling a story of um, an overseas conversion. And, and I don't wish to um, doubt the conversion of the person they were speaking of. But the message was more of a, you know, the world is full of darkness and Jesus is light and what you've experienced in your life is darkness and Jesus will bring you light. And it, it, was, just, it was just a relevant call that Jesus is going to make everything better in your life. There's very few people in this world that don't want their lives made better. And if we can promise that, they're quite willing to accept that Jesus. But Jesus says to call for repentance and obedience, to present Christ as Lord. The call to the salvation is not, do you want saved? Do you want a better life? It's do you see Christ as Lord? Is He truly the Savior? Is He who He says He is? Salvation is born on that truth. And finally, do we see ourselves as unworthy to carry this message? We are blessed beyond measure that God in His wisdom, in His sovereignty, has entrusted the message of the gospel to us. It's not our message. It's His message. And we who are unwilling even to carry His shoes get to carry this message to our world around us. The message that Jesus Christ is our hope. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we are grateful that you sent your Son. We're grateful for the witness of a man who, by all modern accounts, would have been rejected. A man who, if he walked into our presence, would probably gain more of our scorn than our respect. But Father, you used this man to herald Christ. You used this man to make the path straight. Father, as we consider our lives, may we see ourselves as unworthy. May we see ourselves as outcast, as was John the Baptist. May we not try to water down the message of the gospel. 
May we not try to make it easy to hear. But Father, may we present you as Lord, first to our own hearts, and secondly to those around us. May we declare you as Lord. And Father, may that affect our walk and our steps. Pray that you would continue to do your good work among us, and may we rest only in Christ for every spiritual gift. We pray this through Christ.